0: Hello and welcome again to Craven Craven episode six. My name is Patrick Bromley, joined as always on Craven Craven by my co-host, the illustrious Heather Wixon. Hi, Heather.
1: Hello. I don't know if illustrious is the right word, but happy to be back talking about more West Craven uh, goodness. So yeah, we've got it's our another first one of the 2021.
0: This is the first 2021 Craven Craven and we've got another TV movie. Uh, Oh, I'm excited. This month we're talking about 1984's Invitation to Hell, which debuted (laughs) on May 24th, 1984 on ABC. Uh, It stars Robert Urich, Susan Lucci, and Joanna Cassidy. Um, And this, if I'm not mistaken, was a first-time watch for both of us, yes?
1: (laughs) You know what? It's crazy. See, this is what's crazy to me because I can't imagine a movie that was on TV in 1984 with Robert Urich in it that my mom did not watch because okay. my mom loves Robert. Urich. She was all so about that like-
0: Spencer for hire.
1: Yeah. Oh, Spencer for hire was like there's shit. In her house. <laughs> um, so I'm like, I can't even believe that. Like I haven't seen this or I have no recollection of it. Um, but yeah, so I'm assuming it's a first time watch. Maybe I saw it like as a really little kid and it just kind of like floated out of my, you know, out of my brain or something like that. But I feel like I would have remembered this. So, yeah. So this was a first time watch, I think, for both of us.
0: Don't you kind of miss movies of the week?
1: I do. This, you know what? I think between this and um, the, the one with Linda Blair, like I was just like, wow, what a lost art form. Why yeah. don't we do this more? And I think ABC for a while was trying to bring it back. Um, but they kind of like stopped, and I I think mostly now like the movie of the week idea kind of lives on over at like the Lifetime Network.
0: Yeah, but it's always like My Psycho Ex.
1: Yes. So, or on Hallmark,
0: you know, and it's always like Christmas in the country. I Doctor or the Devil.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Starring, what's uh, the girl from Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Melissa, Melissa Joan Hart.
0: Hart. Yeah. Right.
1: Who's Like a veterinarian who comes back to her, her old town for the holidays and reconnects with that guy that she was in love with in high school, but she was too awkward to talk to. And somehow they're both in their thirties and have never gotten married and nor have any sort of romantic inclinations. And somehow they could just come together and it all works out. But these you know, are not, not, these with, are not, not movies some... of the
0: week that I'm interested in. Give me invitation no. to hell any day. Give me, give me Salem's lot, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think that's what's you know I mean let, let's be honest this movie is goofy as hell,
0: um, but are you it, sure
1: it wastes? It, yeah, oh I'm really sure, <laughs> but I loved it, and it wastes zero time telling you exactly what kind of movie it is because it literally opens at the what is this, the name? I took all sorts of notes at the Steaming Springs Country Club, mm. which is just like an interesting name for a country club, where like literally this guy's driving he runs over susan lucci that's not a spoiler guys don't worry she's fine <laughs> and like she pops back up with this crazy ass hair and she's like uh-uh and like fries the dude in the car in like the first 30 seconds and i was like that is when i was like yes i'm so glad we're doing this this is why i wanted to do craven and Cream. <laughs> like i'm excited to get to talk about nightmare pretty soon but like this The invitation to hells out there is why I wanted to do this, because what a goofy, wonderful, fun time this was.
0: I will argue that the movie never gets better than those opening 75 seconds.
1: No, it's a little jab, but I mean, honestly, for me, I love this entire cast, like from top to bottom. Yeah. Because first of all, I love Joanna Cassidy. Um, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter dad is... The Babysitter's Dad is like one of my favorite, like, sort of go to movies, especially during the summer. Um, so, getting to, uh, you know, ro- see Rose being a housewife who just wants a little bit more out of her life, which I get, um, is, is really fun. I also love the fact that the kids in this movie are Barrett Oliver from The Neverending Story yep. and a little baby spoon fry,
0: Punky Brewster herself
1: oh punky bastion and punky
0: that's your george gaines impression
1: (laughs) yes it is (laughs) oh punky it's pretty good right now say mahoney mahoney sorry (laughs) that was not as good i haven't been able to to work on mahoney as well as i have my oh punky um so yeah i was like as soon as i realized like who the kids were too and it's like usually the kids are kind of throwaways in these movies but i was like wow like, you got the never ending Story Kid, which I think was, like, this was right around the same time as that. Yeah. And Slime Fry, this was, a, like, because Punky Brewster was 85 or 86, I think.
0: I would say 85 if I had okay. to guess.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't even, like, I could have Googled it really quick and been super prepared. But yeah. why would we do that?
0: Hold on, I'll you look know, it up. Um, oh, it says 84, actually. So this same year, she launches on wow. PB, also my oh, initials. Oh, wow,
1: so nice nice was that did that excite you when you were a kid
0: i don't think i even became aware of it honestly oh really oh, that's yeah. a bummer. do oh. you remember the punky Oop. brewster cartoon
1: yes of course
0: and there was like she
1: had like the little talking animal thing
0: glomer right, right? glomer wasn't oh it my God. Glomer.
1: it was somewhere somewhere i have my original like sticker books from when i was a kid and I have a Glomer sticker in there. And I'm so glad you remembered his name because I totally forgot it. But I have a sticker of him in there. And it's like one of those puffy stickers.
0: Oh, nice. So, I used to constantly yes. confuse Glomer with that little talking animal on She-Ra that would be hiding. And you were supposed to find him in the episode. Yes. But he was always like a little prick. And he was like, Did you see me? I was down the street in the pizza place. <laughs> like, no, I couldn't have found yeah. you, asshole. <laughs>
1: yeah, you were having pizza. <laughs> Yes, no, it, uh, it, it was, uh, yeah, I, I loved Punky Brewster in all its iterations. I missed the day where you would have, like, live action things that also would get cartoons. Right. Like, did you did you watch the Beetlejuice cartoons when you were a kid? Oh, sure. Oh, my God. Like, those are, I actually like the Beetlejuice cartoons, I think, more than the movie.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's because I don't have to look at Jeffrey Jones.
0: Well, true, he's not in the cartoon.
1: No, so that was I think, you know, part of the reason like cuz I actually just watched went back and watched some of those. Um and they're really fun. And they're really like out there and like what a gift to get as a kid. Yeah. Um but yeah, I was yeah, I loved I loved Pucky Brewster. So, we didn't get a never-ending story cartoon though, Cuz no. unfortunately the story ended. It well, was not never-ending.
0: <laughs> and Drowning Horses Tested Poorly Among Saturday Morning Children. <laughs>
1: Well, I feel like at the end of the movie, you know, everything there's balance, right? So like I feel like maybe the cartoon could have picked up there where it's a little happier. Maybe.
0: Uh maybe, yeah. There was an animated so, uh, Neverending Story part three, I believe. I know there was a part two with Jonathan Brandis, and then I think there was yeah. a part three that maybe went straight to video and it was animated. Okay. Uh, but yeah I, don't I remember know. part
1: two I don't remember i I saw part two didn't really like it I know me part either three.
0: and I don't know if it has any of the same characters or not honestly um
1: no idea no idea so they... but yeah i was i was i was uh this this cast really is just you know and it's from top to bottom it is actually a really really solid cast because you also have um the guy from he played Frank on Murphy Brown. Yeah, uh, right. Oh, Joe Regal, Regal Guto. <laughs> Which is just That's such fun a to say. Hollywood name. Yeah, right. It is Regal Buto.
0: Kevin so McCarthy. Like, er,
1: punky. Yes, of <laughs> course. I was really excited about that. And then you know, and then Michael Berryman goes walking through a few times as the valet at the Steaming Springs Country Club. And I didn't realize until like I was looking uh, up stuff about this, uh when we when I was watching it that Dean Cundy is actually the cinematographer on it as well. Holy cow. Right? Is that why
0: stacked. the is that why the um there's a tagline that says the ultimate nightmare from the creators of Halloween and a nightmare on Elm street. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out who the creators of Halloween were that were involved with invitation to hell, but maybe it's Dean Cundy, which would be the first time a DP has ever been referenced (laughs) in a tagline.
1: That's amazing. Good for him. That's how much cachet like he had, I guess in 1984.
0: Good for him. Um, Good for him. Let me read the plot synopsis real quick from IMDb. A scientist and his family move to a new town. He meets the local celebrity. Well, this is written by a user, so I'm just going to read it the way it's written.
1: Yeah.
0: He meets the local celebrity, The Beautiful, who runs the local health club, to which everyone is a member, and makes him suspicious. (laughs) Who wrote this? (laughs) Intrigued, he investigates further and uncovers a terrifying plot. So it's basically the Stepford Country Club.
1: Yeah, do you want me to read the Wikipedia one? It makes a little more sense. Sure. Uh, Invitation to Hell is a 1984 American made-for-television supernatural horror film directed by Wes Craven and starring Robert Urich, Joanna Cassidy, and Susan Lucci. Its plot follows a family who are threatened to join a mysterious country club in their new Southern California community. Uh, also, it was nominated for a Primetime Emmy for Art Direction.
0: You go, Wes Craven, so your Art this Direction is, nomination.
1: Right. Look at that. Um, but yeah, it's, there's, it's funny because as goofy as it is, I mean, it's, it, it, in a very, in a lot of ways, it's sort of taking on some sort of adult themes, but doing them in a very sort of campy and over the top way. Um, but again, I really kind of like this. Um, and it, there's a lot of stuff in here, that seems very carpenter or sorry, carpenter, that's, a, that's a different thing we're doing later. <laughs> seems very craven. Um, and then a lot of it feels nothing like Craven. Um, so it's really interesting to me, but I did, I, I found a few through lines, which we'll get into. Oh, nice. Um, but I also think that there's a lot here that I just, I hadn't really hadn't seen from him before. So yeah, it was a good time.
0: It's bananas, as you described from that opening sequence. And it's not like the movie gets less crazy from there. It just its craziness isn't as condensed as it is in those first 75 seconds, which is why I said, like, I don't think the movie's ever better than in those first 75 seconds. It's
1: like a punch to the face.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the rest of the movie is incredibly entertaining. Uh, but for all of that to happen so quickly, because even the way Susan Lucci gets up after being run over by a car is like that magical, uh, like, Beetlejuice coming out of the coffin uh oh yeah, she just kind of or, or, or uh uh Nosferatu, you know popping out of the, yes. um it's probably well, a better frame of reference I was like yeah nosferatu sure, yeah. popping out of his coffin um much much better reference point um <laughs> but uh yeah great. no absolutely <laughs> this is going really well um It's such contained craziness uh, before the credits even start. And obviously it's like, how do we hook the viewer? Because in a way, that opening really steps on the rest of the movie. Because the rest of the movie should be structured like, hey, what's going on? Something is weird. Something's off a slow process of discovery from Robert Urich, who kind of figures out what's happening in this town and what's happening at this country club. Um, but because we get that opening, we know from moment one that like Susan Lucci is a magical devil.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you look just look at her hair, you already know something's <laughs> up. Like that hair is teased out forever. And it is like, look, I, you know, as a kid, I grew up watching all my children. And as we know, I, I believe you said your, your wife is also named after Erica Kane, which she is, sure is amazing. Amazing. I'm not jealous. Um, and, you know, so I mean to, to have Erica Kane in a made for TV movie, Playing the devil like is kind of like it's it's almost too on the nose, and yet it's just perfect. And I think honestly, like if you if you look at her and you, it's a movie called Invitation to Hell, and your image is Susan Lucci, like you know something's up, right? I, I don't even think you have to play coy about it. So I'm okay that the movie doesn't do that, but nothing really feels like that sort of punch to the face that the opening is. But again, I'm okay with it because I think. For what what I really enjoyed about it is that there's there's a lot about this movie that is very much sort of about like the, you know, in a lot of ways, similar to like something like Poltergeist. It's the American dream. It's this family who hasn't had a lot. And you get sort of the inference of that, you know, is, there, is uh Joanna Cassidy and Robert York are driving to their new house um, where the first time they lived in a house, yet their kids are like six and eight you know, and they're finally getting a taste, you know, at one point, I think somebody says, you know, it's time that the Winslows had a taste of the good life. And for them, that was suburbia. Um, and it, I would even say a lot of like the the subdivision that they move into looks like Cuesta Verde's, which I was just like, whoa, that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, you know, so I think a lot of it is just sort of, a, you know, confronting the, you um, the idea of what the American dream is. And then also, I think in in another way, it's, it's kind of like talking about like this assimilation into adulthood, um, which is kind of sort of like this dry idea, but like how you sort of lose your identity when you go work for these big corporations or you become just another member of a club, Um, you know, whether it's run by the devil, you know, in any case, you know, you, you lose a part of who you are by wanting to belong to these things, um, which I think is kind of interesting and it's sort of wrapped up in this glossy, sort of campy wrapper. <laughs> um, and I just and I just think that's kind of interesting. Um, and I think it's a little different than, again, the stories that Craven had taken on prior to this. And kind of different than anything we sort of seen differently after this. Like, we've seen him bring terror into suburbia, but it's different here than it is in other stuff.
0: Right. You know, it's the movie is very much about this sort of eighties idea of Reagan upward mobility, um, getting the better job, getting the bigger house, belonging to the fancy club. And it's about status, you know, sort of as represented by, um, What Joanna Cassidy's character, you know, who really is the one who kind of keeps saying, like, I I want better status. I want, it's hilarious to me, too, that your reference point for her is don't tell mom the babysitter's dead and not something like Blade Runner. But, you know, listen, tomato, tomato.
1: (laughs) Is this where I can admit, I don't. I've only ever seen don't it really whatever once. Don't
0: admit whatever you're about to say.
1: <laughs> I've only ever seen it once, and it did not really come with me. I need to see it again, and I need to see it, like, under better circumstances. But the only other time I really watched it was in uh, cinema class. Okay. And I have to say, like, breaking it up over a few days, sure. you know, because of the ways classes are structured when you're in high school, like, that's probably not the most ideal way to watch it. Um, so it's one of those I still have to kind of get around. And it's it's a I would call it a blind spot. I wouldn't say that I don't like it because I don't really – I, didn't, I don't think I really got to connect with it in the right way. Yeah. Um, but it is something. But then there's also like 15 versions, and I just don't know which one to go with. Right. So.
0: Yeah. No, I understand that. That's it's
1: very daunting to try to go watch Blade Runner. I think now yeah. as an outsider.
0: Yeah, I understand that. Um, but Wes Craven is a guy who is has always been throughout his career, as we've discussed on past episodes, sort of uh, mistrustful of institutions, you know, larger institutions, whether going back to religion in The Fireworks Woman. Uh, And so this is a movie that's entirely about being mistrustful of institutions. There's a lot of, I think, you kind of misspoke earlier and referenced John Carpenter, but there is a lot of John Carpenter in this movie, I think, in terms of how... The yuppies are the bad guys, you know, and that's every John Carpenter movie Um, (laughs) that uh, that we're presented with this idea of what matters. But Craven is saying, like, no, that shit does not matter. Do not trust these people who would have you believe that, you know, you have to belong to. It's the Stepford Wives, basically, except instead of wives, it's a country club. But
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like the fact that, you know, here's the thing. Like, we've had so many iterations of The Devil over the years. Um, and I think what I really liked about this is, one, this time it's a woman.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, so it's not like we're not watching Al Pacino choose scenery in The Devil's Advocate, um, which does, don't get me wrong. Does he choose scenery in loved.
0: that movie? I can't remember.
1: I mean, literally, you can see the bite marks, I think, <laughs> the points in that movie, which I'm fine with. Um, I, how many times did he say Eddie Barzoom in that movie? It's like, if you if you took a shot every time he said Eddie Barzoom or whatever it is, like, like you would be drunk. Like, like you probably would have to go to a hospital um, oh, dear. at some point during that movie. Um, I love Devil's Advocate though. It's so goofy and I love it. Anyway. No, I'm a um, fan as but well. But I love the fact Yeah, and I I love the fact that, like, it's a woman. And here's the thing, though. I think Susan Lucci plays it right because there are moments where she is a little over the top, but yet she's really warm and inviting. Like, the very first time um, that Matt and Patricia go to the club and they're looking around and Frank from uh, Murphy Brown is walking them around and stuff, (laughs) like, she's really, like, kind. And she, like, she compliments Joanna Cassidy on, like, the color of her dress You know, and she's she's very warm and inviting without like crossing that line where she's not like trying to seduce them or anything like to the dark side. Like she's just like, hey, let me walk you around um, in her really tiny little bathing suit, um, which I was just totally jealous of. I was like, oh, my God, I never pull that off. Um, (laughs) God bless Susan. Lucci. Um, She's a tiny person. Oh, I know. I know. But she like looks damn good. In that bathing suit, Um, I love the fact that her character is also Jessica Jones, which I think is just like love it. I I love alliterative names, um, so that was like okay, yeah. Um, But yeah, she's she's not somebody who's like overt in their corruption. Like she's just like you guys deserve better. Like why don't you come and look? And there's even like in some ways it's almost kind of like a feminist piece. um, In many ways, because there's a point when like patricia and jessica are talking at the park and she's just like you know she's like you don't need your husband to do this um you know you can be your own woman in a way um which again was sort of a very 80s thing as you saw a lot more women you know whether they were sort of taking positions in you know corporate america or taking positions of strength at home and things like that like it just to me really struck me as like wow if, if she was over there pitching me to join this country club, like I probably would do it <laughs> because it's, 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 it's not an overtly sinister performance from her. Like there's, there is a warmth to Jessica at times. Like, even though we know something is definitely off with her for the Winslows, like she's very, she's, she's a really nice lady who has like a, li- a lot of warmth to her. Um, 800 degrees of warmth as nice. we find yeah. um, as, as the movie goes on. Um, <laughs> But I really like that about it. Like, I like that it wasn't just play. It wasn't just a one note performance. Like, there's a there's a lot to it, which I wasn't expecting.
0: Well, she's got a little bit of uh, vampiness because there's definitely a scene where she's not overtly, but uh, still trying to seduce Robert Urich. And she keeps what I, the thing I don't like about her is that she keeps using the word pleasure. And I do not like the word pleasure she keeps on saying that's you don't care pleasure. about money you don't care about money you care about pleasure i have pleasure <laughs> please stop saying it say anything else please i can't say so, so
1: the bathroom scene in friday uh bothers you when he's like that's my pleasure <laughs> that's...
0: When
1: he's trying to get when he's trying to get a uh, uh, ice cube to be a dog catcher
0: uh he's i haven't like, seen friday in a long time that's my pleasure yeah
1: oh dude you're missing out yeah, uh, we I watch guess. it a lot sorry that's okay <laughs> so yeah no i get it I mean, she is she he, there's a lot of times where she's kind of like eye sexing him i'm not using right. the f-word because i'm trying to be not trying to be a good girl um but she's definitely trying to work him with her eyes a right. lot of the time um but it's interesting it doesn't even work like he still doesn't even care and i was like dude erica kane is like
0: i know she's giving you the business he's immune to her he's charms. like
1: he's like nope it's all about joanna cassidy he God is
0: right on top of that rose S-
1: Spencer's for hire, but he's not to be bought.
0: <laughs> the casting the of uh, the casting of Susan Lucci is very clever because she brings with her so much iconography, especially for a TV movie. It wouldn't translate as well had this been a theatrical feature. But the fact that this is confined to the small screen, where she kind of reigned supreme. Uh, is very, very clever and i I mean I guess it was just part of some contract that she had where um she was owed a movie of the week, and they were kind of angling to win her an Emmy for a movie of the week since she had not yet won her daytime Emmy and so oh my
1: gosh, I still remember when that happened
0: when she finally won
1: oh I, uh, I I cried, I was so excited for her. I was so happy for her.
0: Yeah. At a certain point, don't you feel like it was a bigger honor to not win every year?
1: No. <laughs> no. That. <laughs> no, I'm not yeah. saying
0: she didn't. She just probably deserved it a lot sooner. And so the fact that she was overlooked every single year, eventually I would just be like, F you guys. Like, it's a greater honor for you to not recognize me. That's how good I am. I'm like Hitchcock. Hitchcock.
1: You're like, Hitchcock, okay. Well, because
0: he it. never won an Oscar, you know.
1: Oh, he didn't, did he? I no. thought he got like a...
0: They might have given him some bullshit Lifetime Achievement one, but he never like actually won an Oscar, you know.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: Yeah. Susan Lucci uh, and Hitchcock are the yeah. same is the argument that I'm making.
1: By the way, so I just looked this up. Um, Because I was really curious because of the the similarities between the way the subdivision looked in this versus the subdivision in uh, Poltergeist. Yeah. The house locations between the two of them are seven minutes apart. Wow. So they were in the same location. So
0: So, you could do a tour. You could do a Poltergeist slash invitation to hell tour in the same afternoon. Yes.
1: I could. Yeah. I looked it up. They were both shot in Simi Valley. Um, out here uh, in in L.A. And yeah, the Poltergeist house is literally seven minutes from the house in Invitation to Hell. Wow. Wow, look
0: at that. Look at that.
1: I don't know why I'm so excited about that, but I really am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it confirms your theory that one feels inspired by the other and that there's a sameness to this vision of American suburbia, you know, uh, between the two movies.
1: Yeah, look at that. That's fun. Um, but, yeah, I, I think definitely it makes me sort of sad because there's part of me that wishes Susan. Because I've always adored Susan. Lucci. Like I said, I grew up watching all my children because, you know, when you're little and you have like babysitters and daytime soaps were like a huge thing during the 80s. Um, specifically, um, I, you know, I got sort of indoctrinated into watching them because you're a kid and you just watch whatever the grown up in the house is watching. You know, that was back before, like, kids kind of took over the TV and stuff like that. So, like, I used to watch ABC soap operas, like, all the time. Like, all my children, General Hospital. Um, One and Life so to Susan Luke- And One Life to Live. How could I forget? Yeah,
0: that was right um, in between the two of them.
1: It was, because General Hospital was, like, two to three, and then they yeah. rolled into Jeopardy for us in Chicago. Yeah. So, mm. I remember that. And, you know, so for, for me, like I, Susan Lucci was like royalty to me as a kid when I was growing up. And so part of me is a little bummed that we never really got to see her do much on the big screen. But I think that there is a specific, specificity, let me say that right, to the to her performances. There really is sort of heightened by a small screen, um, if that makes sense. And I think that's why she was the queen of daytime television and you know i think she actually has did a few more tv movies as well um she, yeah, really she did one where movies.
0: she was like a mafia wife or something
1: she's done a few there's another one as soon as this finished um as soon as i finished watching this so it's like another horror one
0: oh nice uh,
1: that she d- she does as well so i'm like do we spin this off into a susan lucci show <laughs> like do we go watch the other one because now i want to go watch it um, but she did a few that were sort of genre uh themed, which is kind of interesting to me because, you know, these days like most, you know, non-genre actors kind of look down on it and it seems like she really sort of embraced it. Um and it kind of got to do some some really cool stuff, you know, albeit again for television.
0: She did one movie called Mafia Princess and another one called Lady Mobster.
1: Look at her. I could believe her as a mobster though. She has that kind of power.
0: Uh, yeah, I suppose a tiny, tiny mobster.
1: Yeah, Yeah, she could do it. I was trying to find the name of the other one that she did. Um, but it was like early eighties. Uh,
0: shoot. It's amazing how few acting credits she actually has given how long she's been in the business, but so much of her career was devoted to all my children.
1: Which she did, I, I just saw, over 1,500 episodes. Yeah. Yes, which is, which is bananas. I didn't realize she was, was that like a new version of Dallas? I didn't realize they brought Dallas back, or was that still Dallas? I
0: think that was still back? original Dallas, but they did bring Dallas back. Okay. Uh, um, on like TNT or something, but I think that's still early 90s. I think that's still original Dallas.
1: Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I was trying. I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm so mad that I can't go quick, turn on my TV and figure out what the other one they were trying to tell me to watch. But, uh, <clears throat> but in any case, you know, Susan Lucci was the shit when I was a kid. <laughs> so
0: she's used sparingly in the movie, but she's used very well. You know, she makes a big impression despite having fairly limited screen time.
1: Sorry, my dog decided to, to jump in on the conversation. That's right, the there. dog agrees with yeah, me. I, yeah, again, it's like, you know, and I hate to make the devil's advocate sort of comparison again, but like Al Pacino's in like at least 70% of that movie. Right. You know what I mean? Like whether or not he's, he's the focus of the scene, somehow he pops in there um, where she's, you know, probably about 40% of this movie. Yeah. Um, which maybe is why you sort of feel like nothing really matches the energy of that opening because – a lot of it is sort of this domestic drama about this, you know, this family who's finally getting a taste of the good life. And they're sort of, you know, exploring their domesticity. I'm just picking really hard words (laughs) that I can't really say. So I sound really stupid, Um, but they're sort of, you know, they're settling into this new domestic life and, you know, and it's a big deal for like, for example, for them to get new furniture, you know, yeah. and it's to me, that's really interesting because it, it shows me like this is a this is a couple who've worked really hard, but they're not for money and they haven't really always had money. And the fact that they just want to go get furniture is a big deal. Um, and I think it's really interesting how there's like these little character touches that kind of gives you an idea of, of what their life was like before without overtly showing us through like, you know, back, you know, flashbacks and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the fact also that, you know, be, because we're talking about like sort of stripping this identity away from them and things like that, like, you know, Robert York's character works at the very generically named Micro Digitech, <laughs> As <which> an inventor. <laughs> sounds, as an inventor working on spacesuits. that's is kind of cool. Spacesuits like
0: that shoot lasers.
1: Yeah, that's what you need. This movie uh, is again, bananas. It has everything. It really does. <laughs> it's like in my Stefan voice, this invitation to hell has everything: spacesuits that suit lasers, suits, uh, Erica <laughs> Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Michael Berryman is valet, um, <laughs> but yeah, like what's great? Like it, it again. It's it, it it gives me something I haven't hadn't really seen. Where you have like science finding a way to fight evil, right? And for as much as it probably doesn't work when you really think about it, it works enough, I guess. Well, the it's best the, it.
0: it's the guiding principle behind Prince of Darkness.
1: Yeah. But I think that's different. That's physics where this is, this is something a little science. more head on. Sure. Yeah. I know it's still science, but <laughs> it's, 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 a little more, this is a little more straightforward where sure. he just, he needs to use the science so he could descend into hell <laughs> Where Prince of Darkness, you're fighting like
0: hell in a country forms and
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 I get it, it's similar, but it's different. Um yeah, we actually just watched Prince of Darkness the other night while doing Scrabble. So
0: that movie rules and the science in
1: that Oh it totally rules, but boy the science in that movie. Like I I think I've almost grasped it. Nope. Every time they start really digging into I it, I just let like, it wash. I think over I got me. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's caca. Um <laughs> that's Uh, our
0: favorite that movie would be 25 to 50 percent better with a different lead
1: which uh prince of darkness prince of darkness yeah oh you don't like mustache
0: i don't like mustache no i think
1: oh we were we're joking this is something that brian wants to do and somebody's gonna hear this and probably steal it but whatever we're actually we want to recut a trailer for prince of darkness but make it into like a meet cute rom-com okay um between um oh my gosh i'm totally blanking on the actor's name because he's just that good um between uh lisa blunt and uh jameson parker that's who it is there it is because it there's just it's it's funny because every time we watch like we were talking about doing that um we were watching the movie and like there's like the moments where like they're talking or whatever and we just started laughing because we we could picture the trailer moments (laughs) we're like you know she's like i want to tell you something he's like no no Not yet. And you're like, yes, I know what moment the trailer this is. So (laughs) anyway, yes, Prince of Darkness rules. Uh, But yeah, you don't get a whole lot of science versus Satan movies. Right. And maybe we need more. Uh,
0: According to Invitation to Hell, we absolutely do. Here's a question I have for you. It is established in the very opening scene that Susan Lucci, alias uh, Jessica Jones, has magical powers and then she doesn't use them for the rest of the movie
1: i think she's she's a woman who knows what her power is and she doesn't really need to wield it until somebody tries to who basically runs her over (laughs) i think i think that's a difference in her devil versus other devils where she and maybe her her powers are more like of persuasion maybe she's more about you know, because you don't really, you can't really make people fall in line with evil. You have to sort of let them come to it themselves. You need that free will.
0: But why you know not? I mean? Why not? Why not exercise some of those powers near the end, when Robert Yurik is threatening to destroy everything, and she's kind of just like, "Hey, don't, <laughs> like, ooh, stop it." <laughs> very,
1: very true. Yeah, I was, <laughs> there is there is a moment when they they get to hell. Um,
0: literally hell this movie ends literally in hell
1: <laughs> yeah I, if it is something where it's like he has he has to embrace this for it to work like if if that's the rule i wish they would have sort of established that yeah um and they don't really do that here um to me because of stuff that i learned like you know from going to like uh church and stuff like that I'm i'm guessing it has something to do with that you have to be sort of a willing participant in it. You can't just be forced to do these things because that's the devil's deal, right? Right. Like, you have to sort of want to do it. I mean, again, devil's advocate. I think you have to, like, you have to give yourself over to it. Right. You can't be forced into it. Right. So, but they don't do a very good job of explaining that. But, yeah, they're in hell for, like, the finale, and they don't, she, she does no cool devil stuff there. I wish she would have, like, morphed or something, too
0: into Tim Curry from Legend.
1: Ooh, that'd have been fun.
0: But I want right? it to be Susan Lucci under the makeup.
1: Yes. Um how great are those match.com commercials by the way?
0: Oh, I haven't seen any.
1: You haven't seen the ones with when when it's the devil meets uh matches with 2020? No. What? I Oh my god, it's Ryan Reynolds in, in devil makeup.
0: Oh, okay. No, we it's don't. Like a... We rarely have on like regular the regular TV.
1: Oh, we don't either. There's like we we get the commercials like on Hulu and stuff like
0: that. Ah, there you go.
1: Yeah. No, it's really funny. It's like he's dressed up like uh Darkness from Legend and he's out there trying to find his match on match.com and he matches up with uh, he calls her 2020 at the first at the beginning and he's then she's like, "Oh no, it's 2020." And then there's like all sorts of shenanigans of like them stealing toilet paper or like going to the movies and there's nobody there and she's actually filming the movie and you know they have a dumpster fire at one point it's really fun all right yes so but yeah when you said that it made me think of the match.com commercials which are a delight (laughs) but yeah i had no idea until recently that was ryan reynolds like under the makeup which you don't even need him and yet somehow i do (laughs) so yeah i i i I guess i get i i have a real i have a real thing for sort of devil's centric stories i guess is what i'm learning about myself through all of this where I was like, oh, now I want to go. want to go watch Legend and Devil's Advocate.
0: Legend rules. Devil's Advocate is awesome.
1: Yes. Angel Heart
0: rules. Mmm.
1: Oh my goodness, I haven't watched Angel Heart in like forever.
0: It's too good. It has to be spaced out.
1: Yeah, you can't have too much devil. I might conjure him or something. What? Don't want to do that. No. So, but yeah, I there's it, it's it, yeah it is interesting to me that like you know she is this all powerful being, um, but ultimately at the end like you have Robert you're basically in a spacesuit in hell and she's just like wait don't do that she can't come Ooh, with you and blah, don't, blah blah
0: don't touch that uh, pretty please
1: yeah so it's it's interesting I do think maybe they sort of dropped the ball a little bit at the end. Um, I would have liked a little more of, like, conflict, I guess, is what's lacking. Well, I don't
0: don't think I fully grasp the idea of, like, Joanna Cassidy and the kids are trapped in hell, like, their actual bodies, and are those just their souls that are trapped down there?
1: I think it's... Or is some weird imposter... Demonic doppelgangers that came back.
0: Okay. I mean, that's kind of how I read it, because how else can I? There's no explanation for it. but Yeah. Okay. yeah. So what happens to the demonic doppelgangers when they go back up to the surface? Do the demonic doppelgangers disappear, or is there like an awkward moment where they're still in the house, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You guys gotta clear out.
1: Yeah, you guys gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) My real kids
0: are home. Real Punky Brewster I, is back.
1: I mean, I would guess because the country club goes up in flames, if we're sort of if we're sort of following the rules of horror movies and horror stories. So at the end, like the country club goes up in flames, which means the evil has been defeated, um, which again be you know is sort of a, a theme that that Wes has in a lot of his movies. Um, I'm guessing maybe the the doppelgangers just sort of dissipate and they're just like Vew! they go into the vapors. Okay. Uh, that would be my guess. Okay. So, um, because it's sort of they come back and it's like this, you know, they, they're they're back into their regular reality. I do like the sort of um, the the take on like the alternate reality. That was kind of fun. Very ambitious for a TV movie in the early '80s, too.
0: Do you think that all of the doppelgangers vanish? I think so. And are the souls so. of everyone else freed when the country club like Frank from Murphy Brown? Is he back yeah, to being his normal self now? I think, his I think him and his now? family come
1: back. Okay. Yeah, I think him and his family come back. Um, also, we've, we've totally glossed over one of the best parts of the is that it culminates at a Halloween party
0: where a guy is dressed in an ss uniform like a Nazi, I
1: know, I was like,
0: <laughs> what was happening in 1984
1: shit. that that like, was, was okay, that okay? <laughs> was that okay back then like did we not realize it it's like what, what the was, was
0: the 80s on? jesus like holy
1: crap right <laughs> i i'm really glad you mentioned because that's literally in my notes it says guy dressed nazi yikes the
0: uniform is bad enough but he literally has the armband too
1: i was like holy shit maybe that's to to drive home how bad these people are i guess but wow yeah that was a choice
0: yeah that'd be awkward then if his soul gets freed and reappears back on the surface but he's in the nazi uniform and he's like wait i would not have made this choice
1: yeah he's like i was gonna be a clown i I was i was a devil when
0: this happened uh yikes yeah
1: that was definitely a choice
0: (laughs) yeah that was bananas but yes i was excited for the halloween party minus the nazi yeah it was uh
1: that was that was very shocking i was like wait are we really seeing this? And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Did people do that at Halloween parties back then? Yikes. I I just don't know. Like, I have no idea, but I guess that was okay back then. I'm really glad we've moved past that. And now it's like, no, that's, that's a really bad choice. Yeah. We don't Halloween
0: recommend costume. it, you know, at least no. not for Halloween I mean, costumes. Ask, There's plenty of people of the, walking around the streets with Nazi paraphernalia, but they're called Trump voters.
1: Yes. Um, is it, was it, um, Was it Prince Harry that dressed up like a Nazi once at a party and like got in trouble? I
0: don't remember which one of the princes, but yeah, good thinking there. It was
1: one of them. Yeah, that was that was a that was a not a good idea. No, somebody put his bad idea jeans on that day. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right?
0: I do. Yeah, I remember bad idea jeans.
1: We have all we have all the references for all you fellow old folks out there. Yeah, right. So yeah. put on your bad idea jeans. He's like, who needs <laughs> who needs condoms for sex? Not me. So yeah, it was that was that was a very shocking moment. Um, but I do like that. That's how they sort of work in the spacesuit, um, right? Which again, you know, I feel like that thing would have had better security though. Like it's because they say it's like worth like <laughs> millions of dollars, and Robert Eric just like walks out of the building with it.
0: Well, he explains it's just a prototype.
1: Yeah. You know, but still, so
0: it's fine for sister. him to be,
1: yeah,
0: walking around. In it. But yeah, when this movie started, I never predicted that it would end with Robert Urich in a spacesuit shooting lasers, and that's that's what I love yeah. about Invitation to Hell is that <laughs> you're never quite sure what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, no, and that's that's it's, it's it's charm, I think. And again, it's one of those movies. If you're going to take this movie seriously. Um, you're not gonna, you're not gonna like this. I don't think like there's, it's, you know, if, if you're, if you're really dead set on a serious horror movie, um, this is not it. Um, you know, even though it plays it straight, you know, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's, it's not camping it up for the sake of camp or anything. Um, but it just has like sort of this overt over the topness at certain points. It just really strikes the right balance with the sort of very straight laced performances in the movie.
0: And I actually really like all the scenes, especially early on with the family. I think there's a really nice dynamic that they establish. I mean, all the actors are good, obviously, but they kind of joke around with each other. They obviously love each other a lot.
1: They Um, feel natural with each other. I don't feel like I'm watching trying to, like, sort of find find chemistry. Like, they just feel like they all really enjoy being around each other.
0: And again, not to go back to Poltergeist, but it is very reminiscent of watching the Freelings in that movie where, you know, it's... You really like this family and you don't want bad things to happen to them. So when they do, you feel it that much more when Joanna Cassidy starts to turn. Um, you know, when uh, Jason Presson shows up and smashes the video game, you're like, hey, kid from Explorers, don't do that.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. I forgot he was from Explorers. Yeah. That's crazy. This cast was stacked,
0: man. It really was. Um. <laughs>
1: Um, I really like there's two there was two different things in this movie um, that actually because we we sort of talk about these through lines um, that I really feel like Craven pulled from this movie for a new nightmare, um, which is very interesting to me, um, which, again, we talk about sort of like these alternate versions of suburbia. Um, that's a movie that sort of plays with it in a very different way. Um, but one, I like the TV gag at a certain point when, um, the little kid from Neverending story, um, his character is Robert, uh, when he's watching the TV and then, uh, Robert Ure comes downstairs and he tells him to like, go away and the kid's acting weird and the TV pops back on, even though he's turned it off. Um, sort of reminded me of the, the, the that scene in new nightmare when, uh, has a Langenkamp's little boy played by Nico Hughes. Um, is watching the tv and then it's not even plugged in so it's almost like sort of an amped up like it's sort of the the predecessor to that new nightmare scene um, which i thought was really fun and then i also think the scene when soleil Fry is is it a crowbar that she's using to tear up her bunny (laughs) i believe so yeah and she's like going berserk on her toy her beloved toy bunny Um, and she gets like the crazy demonic voice and she starts like acting all bananas, like around, uh, Robert Uric and like, she She starts acting
0: really punky,
1: punky or punky. (laughs) Um, yeah. So she, she, and so he like, he's like startled by this crazy voice. And again, totally reminded me of in new nightmare when he was like, you know, when the little boy like starts freaking out and talks in like the crazy weird voice. Um so those were like my two like new nightmare moments where I was like, oh, I wonder if like Craven when he was thinking back, like, you know, maybe it wasn't even so much his like Craven paying attention, like paying homage to the original Nightmare, but maybe there was like these other little notes from his career that he was kind of using in that movie. Yeah. Um so yeah. So I really I thought that was those were kind of like sort of fun little things that I I recognized.
0: Um, it's obviously kind of just a gun for hire job, you know, Swamp Thing hadn't been a huge hit. He had made it a couple of years earlier. He hadn't worked for a couple of years and needed a, a paycheck. Um, and he makes this movie, you know, the same year that he makes his first true masterpiece, I would argue. Um, some people may feel like Hills Have Eyes or Last House on the Left, is a masterpiece and that is fine. I think those are really strong movies. I probably wouldn't use the word masterpiece to describe them, but we're coming up on a nightmare on Elm street and that really changes everything for him. Uh, It's
1: changes everything.
0: It changes everything. Um, All of his movies, including his last TV movie, which was summer of fear have kind of touched upon the idea of class And this is maybe the most overt in dealing with that issue, you know, because that's literally what the entire movie is about. And then I feel like he doesn't touch on it very much again until like People Under the Stairs, unless I'm forgetting a subplot of Shocker or something. I don't feel like class comes up a lot in his next few theatrical movies until we get to People Under the Stairs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe in Shocker, it's a little overt in terms of, you know, um, Peter Burke's character was like, kind of came from like a low rent family and kind of got to live with like the suburban perfect family. So in a way, maybe that sort of you know, kind of under the radar kind of touching on that. Okay. Um, I would even say maybe like something like in serpent of the rainbow, you sort of have this idea of like the, the concept sure, of like the white yeah. savior coming yeah, in. I
0: thought of that. Um,
1: but I, I think that there's, I mean, there could be a case for both of those in some ways. Um, he just does it in very different ways, right. which is interesting. Yeah. So I, I think West Craven's like, check your white privilege.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. He's just, he's such a, A thoughtful director but I love and he didn't write Invitation to Hell you know so these aren't necessarily his ideas um, but he does seem drawn to some of these ideas and wants to work with these ideas and and obviously has a gift for set pieces you know we already talked about how great that opening scene is Um, but there are a couple set pieces throughout the film that are very memorable and just knows how to make a really entertaining movie, you know. Um, this is such an interesting warm-up for *A Nightmare on Elm Street*.
1: It really is. I don't know if it'd been any other director doing it. I don't know that I would have had as much fun with it, to be honest, because um, it does feel like Craven's having fun. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Um, and I think that benefits it, um, even in the points where the movie sort of is more about the domestic drama aspects than it is about what's going on at Steaming Springs. Um, But I think he finds a really good balance here. And again, for as goofy as it is, it's never really dull overall um, because it really just keeps building to like this sort of weird mystery um, of trying to figure out just what exactly is going on and what. Uh, Jessica's endgame is here in terms of, you know. I mean, I don't know that we necessarily get her endgame. Like, is she just going to indoctrinate the entire country into Uh, this? Apparently, it's going to be a
0: really big country club.
1: I guess. Um,
0: They're going to run out out of towels. uh,
1: Yeah. Not if Michael Michael Berryman has anything to say. Oh,
0: yeah. Good point. Good point.
1: Yeah. Uh, What's his name is in
0: there, too? Uh, Nicholas Wirth from Swamp Thing. So memorable oh, he in is, Swamp Thing, he shows up as a security guard.
1: <laughs> so memorable. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I. you know, again, it's one of those where I'm like, it It feels a lot like Wes Craven, but it doesn't feel like West Craven in some aspects. Um, yeah. And yet I think that's what is really good about it. I think there's obviously some things that you can really draw specific lines to. Um, and yet there's a lot of it that just sort of feels like its own thing, uh, which I think makes it really fun.
0: Well, and even the domestic drama stuff, I think, works and we may be able to tie back, you know, to him because he's, at this point he's been divorced. Um, And so there is this idea of, this is the same year that he marries his second wife, but there is this idea of... uh, you know what happens when your partner starts to seem like a stranger to you, and in here it's made very literal because she, Joanna Cassidy becomes a stranger. She is this soulless, as we said, weird doppelganger or something. Um, so she's not his wife anymore. But that feeling of I don't recognize this person that I'm sharing a bed with anymore. Uh, yeah, I think is really interesting and and could very well spring from his own experiences.
1: Yeah, no, it's I I I could definitely see that. And as somebody who's gone through divorce, I there is definitely that moment when you kind of wake up one day and you realize, like, I don't know this person yeah. <laughs> who I'm sharing my life with, and you have to make that decision. You know, I mean, because Robert, you're kind of just moved on, and like, all right, well, my kid, my my wife and kids are demons now, so I'm just gonna go elsewhere. Um, I'm gonna go be for hire. Yes. Not to be bought, but he's poor hire. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. Like how, you know, how far are you willing to go to to save your family and to right. save your marriage? Um, you know, and some people are willing to go to hell in a spacesuit. Um, <laughs> I guess I wasn't.
0: <laughs> Which this movie so, should have been called. My bad. Yeah. Well, you yeah, didn't have space the spacesuit. I hell. think was the issue.
1: I know. Maybe if I had a spacesuit, everything would be different, but, you Completely know, I think different. it all worked out for the best anyway.
0: <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> uh, anything else about Invitation to Hell we want to talk
1: about? Uh, no, I looked at my notes and I was trying to see if there's anything that I had written down that uh, we didn't talk about. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that's about it. Uh, I do like the, digi- the, the sweet-ass digital smoke at the end. That's, that's great.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that
1: was, that was rough. That was rough. And we do have
0: one more TV um, movie that we're going to get to, right? Because he still has Chiller coming up.
1: He does, yeah. And I've actually, um, I have never seen Chiller either, so. No, I
0: haven't either. It's the only oh, other, well, Chiller and Music of the Heart. That's the other Wes Craven movie that I've never seen.
1: Oh, that one I actually took my mom to see in theaters. So, and then she, and then she refused to believe it was the guy who directed Nightmare on Elm Street, even though his name was on the screen. Um, (laughs) But it was, it was, it was the whole Gary Busey was not, uh, didn't play what's his face in uh, the, he didn't play Buddy Holly situation all over again. So. Huh. Yeah, it was. I I uh, I got grounded for weeks because I called my mom stupid because I kept telling her that Gary Busey played Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story. and She said there's no way, and I, and this is obviously before Google. Um, and we got into, like a yelling match over it. Wow. I was really passionate about Gary Busey even at a young age. Sure. And I ended up getting I and I was like, you're so st-. I literally said you're so stupid because <laughs> I was like I knew it was Gary Busey. You were right. <laughs> and. And so basically I got grounded for two weeks. So, you know, serves me right, I guess.
0: And this was, was your Gary Busey passion just based on silver bullet at this point? Cause this is pre
1: point break, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was silver bullet. So yeah, that was like my, my jam when I was a kid, especially. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I, I remember we went to music at the heart and I, and I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this, you know, the guy who did nightmare on Elm street. She's like, no, it wasn't. And I was like, Uh, yes, it was. She was like, "No," I was like, "Yeah." So, and then I I dropped it because I was like, "Well, you didn't want to get grounded again, right?" Yeah, right. No, you know. Oh yeah, I was still getting grounded up until I was like eighteen. So you know what are you gonna do? (laughs) So you just you just learn to pick your battles. I guess is the moral of that story. Yeah. So. Um. And, you know, Lord knows I didn't want to have to go to hell in a, in a space suit, so.
0: No, I would not be willing to. Uh, I probably would have just joined the club, honestly. I'm very weak-willed.
1: Yeah, I mean, and if it's, you know, it's Susan Lucci asking you, and Erica's, you know, if Erica is super into it, which I imagine she would
0: be. Oh, yeah, there, no, Erica she would have been. Kate she would have been like, Susan Lucci Erica... wants us to do something? Let's do it.
1: Yeah, she's like, why are we? Why haven't we done it already? So.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: You know. So you were like, Yeah, sure, why not? What else do we got
0: going on? <laughs> get to hang out with Frank from Murphy Brown.
1: Right? Good touch. Yeah. Doesn't
0: seem like that bad. Anyway, yeah. next no, month we will be doing a nightmare on Elm Street, which is very, very exciting because it is my favorite horror movie of all time.
1: Oh, I'm excited. Do we get to tell our fun story again? Sure
0: we do. I don't think we've told it yeah. yet, have we?
1: No, I don't think we have. Okay. So That's something to look forward to, listeners.
0: It is. It's a very important movie in the history of our friendship.
1: So start counting down now.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember to uh, follow us on Twitter at Craven Craven Pod. We don't tweet that much, but maybe we'll get better at it. I don't know. Um, It's a new year.
1: We'll figure it out. We'll
0: we'll do something. Uh, But thank you guys (laughs) very much for listening, and we will see you next month.